Good morning. Five at uh, high school camp. Staff and students. That's a lot of people. Uh, thank you, Jared, for praying for Caroline. Caroline McLaren, um, I just got word since Jared prayed and we prayed with him that uh, she's breathing a little bit better. They had have Carolyn in an induced coma, which gives you uh, some level of the severity of her condition. So really would appreciate you continuing to pray for Caroline. Uh, many people have noticed that my eyewear has changed. I just let you all get a good look at my my glasses this morning. Um, yeah, you know, I got a new prescription. Helps me see things close up just a little, little sharper. You know, we're always looking for that edge, right? So, uh, but anyway, yeah, you'll have to get used to these. Hope you like them. Hope you have nothing against Costco brand eyewear. So, this morning uh, we pick up at chapter 39, verse 1. Interestingly, chapter 39 of Genesis, Genesis 39, verse 1, is a virtual copy or parallel to the last verse we read last Sunday, and that's Genesis 37, verse 36. And in between those two verses is chapter 38. How many of you happened to read chapter 38 this week? Proud of some of you. Good job. I hope you will read the chapters in advance or just be reading over and over 37 through 50 when you have a little time. Because uh, although I would like to, it takes a while to read an entire chapter to you. So if you've read it in advance, that helps me to kind of jump around knowing you're with me on what I'm talking about because I'll be talking out of the chapter. But in Genesis 38, outside of the opening words, it happened at that time, that's the only connection with Joseph. And then it's sandwiched between uh, 37, verse 36, and 39, verse 1, which are telling us Jacob is in, uh, Joseph is in Egypt, and he belongs to Potiphar, a very powerful Egyptian. What's going on with Genesis 38 is that it's a quick detour of sorts, but it's really at the heart of the entire Genesis story. You see, Judah, and we were, we've been introduced to the family in the first chapter that we looked at, chapter 37, and you know, the, the boys are all there, and uh, Judah is the, one of the older brothers, and we, in chapter 38, discover that in Judah's own household, he's not married. Remember, it's about that time. So while Joseph is in Egypt, um, this is what's going on with Judah, you see. And Judah's not married. Finally, he marries. He has boys. The boys marry. Um, 
one of the boys dies, then a second son dies. And uh, what we find is that Judah is not taking care of his responsibility for the promise that was given to his grandfather. Remember, God said to Abraham, your progeny are going to be as vast as the sand, as vast as the stars, and because of you, all the people are going to be blessed. See? And so we see this in Abraham, God at work. We see it in Isaac, his son, his grandson Jacob. And now we come to Judah, and uh, Judah is not on the ball at all. And we see that the promise, which is handed on through progeny, is uh, in jeopardy. And so we discover in this chapter, in verse 26, that it's the righteousness of his daughter-in-law who was widowed. It is her righteousness uh, that really fulfills the promise. And uh, in fact, when you get to the New Testament, the very first page of the New Testament, the very first chapter, the third verse, there's Tamar. Tamar is the link in the genealogy of Jesus. So um, that's that important chapter, and it shows us uh, God uses people we might not even expect and works in some unexpected ways, but God has his hand on this family because it's through this family, this broken as we saw last Sunday, this is a dysfunctional family. And it's through this family that God is going to work to bless the whole world. And just a little moment, uh, take a moment there to just awaken you to something. I don't know what your family's like. I don't know if the neighbors think your family's dysfunctional. Or maybe you're trying to get out of your family because it's such a mess. You want to leave it in the dust, get away from it, because, you know, it's, it's hard being in that family. But just remember, the God that we love is working His blessing right in the midst of those messes. Don't give up hope. Expect great things from God. And imagine that maybe you're the Tamar or you're the Joseph that God wants to use in the midst of that situation. Well, we're going to see that Joseph at the end of last chapter was in a pit and then they sold him, took him out of the literal pit and sold him to a caravan of uh, merchants on their way to Egypt, Ishmaelites. And it's there that Joseph is sold and he's bought by an Egyptian, Potiphar, a very, very rich man, um, a powerful man. And uh, it's another pit for Joseph. You wouldn't think of that as a pit, but he's a slave. And slaves, it's very important you understand this. Um, slavery in antiquity was, I mean, all slavery is detestable. God doesn't want you enslaved either. That's why he gave us Jesus. Our liberty is in Christ. God hates slavery. And all are enslaved if they aren't in Christ. But there's a literal slavery that occupied our country and its origins. 
But the slavery that's being described in the Bible here is much older than that. And that slavery has to do in actually thinking that there are people who are not of any worth except to serve and to do chores. And they're treated really like implements, like tools. That's where Joseph is when he begins. He is at the bottom of the human heap in terms of status. He is no person. A slave is no person. So he's in another pit. It just happens to be Potiphar's house. And that's the pit we're going to see him in today. The end of the chapter, he's in another pit, and that's prison. So let me read the opening of Genesis uh, chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw, you see, his master witnessed, became aware that the Lord was with Joseph, and that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed in his hands, in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight, in his sight, and attended him, and he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. You see, it's it's hard to get your head around to an ancient reader when they're writing this. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. But yes, a slave was made an overseer of everything. Let me repeat. Let me repeat. Let me repeat. That's prosperity. That's blessing. That's going places you could never dream. And you have to fathom that that's at work. Last week, our emphasis was dare to dream. God gives us dreams. Yeah, sometimes literal dreams. I want us to think or jump off of literal dreams or what good dreams, not the nightmares, of course, but the good dreams. Those good dreams become the basis of things where, you know, we go, I can only dream or I have a dream. Dream big. When we talk like that, it's that kind of dream I have in mind. And that's the dream that God gives us in Jesus Christ in what we call the gospel. Now, you might think it's a real leap to think of Joseph's literal two dreams in chapter 37, and now the pastor's talking about God giving us dreams in Jesus. But I I don't think we sometimes realize what a dream it is to know the gospel 
to know the redemption of God, the salvation of God in Jesus, the work of His Spirit in our lives, the fellowship of believers to be a part of the church. I mean, it's been around forever. We know that the society, the culture has kind of a love-hate relationship with Christians, and right now it's a hate relationship and sometimes Christians out there, I mean, in a media world where you can really set the pace and the tone and you can have a, a, a big voice. Everybody's got a microphone now. Yeah, you can see the bad side of Christianity a lot. And sometimes when it's been so familiar, you forget it's a dream come true. It really is. It's a dream come true. I've been taking inventory. I take inventory of my life quite often. I reflect on where I've come. I look back on who I was before I even met Christ this week, thinking about this message, thinking about this dream we're living and this dream we're experiencing, and that this dream that one day we'll, we'll say, it's, it's come true, all of it. I look back over my life, it's a microcosm of a dream because of the dream of the gospel, because of the dream of Jesus Christ. You see, I prefer to refer to it as a dream because it's bigger than life. It's bigger than anything the world has to offer. It's bigger than a goal. We don't talk about goals like we talk about dreams in the sense I'm talking about them now. And listen, this is out of this world, the life that is ours in Christ that's offered to us. And I realize that our lives can be kind of humdrum and we could get in the kind of the droll parts of things. But listen, it really is a wonderful life. And I look back and take inventory. I see what God has done in my life. I, it, it would have been a nightmare instead of a dream without Jesus Christ in my life. And look what he's made of me. The joys of my life, the people in what he's brought into my life. All those good things, quality things. It leads me to thanksgiving. It leads me to recognition of God's work in my life. I can see his hand in my life or I can see my life in his hand because that's exactly where I want to be I mean that's the walk of a disciple of Jesus Christ when you say Lord you be the Lord of my life you start letting him call the shots show you the way give you work orders inspire you excite you delight you Take care of internal and external things going on. Helps you to order your inner life and house. Well, you see, God has that dream for all humanity. It's the dream that is ours in Jesus Christ. It really is a dream come true. And that's the dream that Joseph is a part of. This story is a part of a bigger dream. The dream of Jesus Christ. In all that we do, you know, 
I can say, the last few weeks I've been saying, would Joseph do this? I want to do this the way Joseph would. And I feel like when I say that or I think that, really, it's just, it helps put me in touch with an incredible person of the work of God in Genesis that really is a a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ because I talk the same way about Jesus. You know, Lord, I want... I want to do it you, your way. I need your strength. I want to trust you in this. We do want to survive. We want to do more than survive. We want to thrive. In all that we do in the Christian life and faith, it comes down to moment by moment, as much as we are able, walking with the Lord and making choices, making decisions. And we want the Lord to be our influence. We, we would want a, a relationship with God like Joseph has with the Lord. Because uh, when we read this and we look at the rise of Joseph in the house of Potiphar, and in verses 21, 22, and 23, at the end of this chapter, Joseph is in prison. And so we watch there the rise of Joseph in prison. In both of these pits, Potiphar and the chief jailer in the prison, they all recognize that the hand of God is on Joseph. Now, how do they see that? What does that mean? They both see. They both see that God is prospering Joseph. Well, how did that work? How does that work? Maybe he just puts it in their hearts. That's always possible. But what I think it ha- means is that Joseph is drawing by faith, what we would call by faith, he is aware of God's presence and the kind of God God is, and he is doing things in a godly way, and it shows up. And God is using Joseph's faithfulness, Joseph's character, which is being shaped by God's presence and by Joseph's reliance on God in attitude, his thought life, his actions, his choices. It's a, it's a faith walk for him. And it doesn't show up in being an irresponsible person who shirks his responsibilities or ducks what ducks uh, his work when, the, when Potiphar or the chief jailer tells him to do something, he's the one who does it in a way that brings honor t- to himself and to the Lord. He's not like the others. And they see it. And they begin to give him responsibility. And when, as he's given responsibility, he shows himself faithful good-spirited, trustworthy, trustworthy. He's honest. He doesn't cheat. He does what he's told to do. He's an extension of the person who wants to accomplish something through him as if he were to do it himself. You know? I love our staff because if I ask them to do something, It's something I could do myself, and I want it to be done 
You know, the, I would do it myself, but they can do it just as well as me. And I trust them in that. I believe in them completely. And that's why we're all so close. We love each other. We talk well of each other. We have respect for each other. The Lord brings that about. He really does. And I probably shouldn't take time to kind of boil down all the mechanics of it, but it really does come from the spirit of the character of God himself. And I, I want us to appreciate that because I want us to realize that Joseph loves God. Joseph loves God. And because he loves God, he makes the right choices because he wants to please God. He, he doesn't just want to please God so God will do things for him. He loves God and wants to please God because he wants to do it God's way. He trusts God. He sees God's character. And he wants that to be his character. And that's what I think this chapter is all about. But you see, if we learn something from this, it could be very helpful to us in our Christian walk. Because you look at Joseph, and if it, I didn't read about him and Potiphar's wife. You see, we only read up through the first few verses. But what's super interesting to me is this slave, Joseph, is put over everything estate, money, everything. In fact, in verse 8 and 9, Joseph uses the trust of Potiphar to try and make sense for Potiphar's wife who's trying to entice him to betray his master. And Joseph says, Because of me, now that's very important, that's in verse 8, because of me, your husband, my master, has put everything, there is no one greater in his house than me. That's a true statement. What he's saying is, your husband treats me like he would himself. Everything your husband does, my master, he always calls him my master, everything, he knows his place. He's not full of himself. He knows everything is a gracious act of grace. Even who he is is because of what God is to him. If he were ever to abandon that, this, this house would collapse that we call Joseph. It would just, but it doesn't because he's faithful to the Lord. He loves the Lord. So he makes all the right decisions because he's not full of himself, not full of pride. He submits unto the Lord because it's the, he knows it's the Lord that has brought him this prosperity. And even with his human master, there is grace and favor that he cannot misuse. And so he tells Potiphar's wife, 
He says, it would be a great evil, verse 9, a great evil for me to betray the trust of your husband, my master, and, and it would be a sin against God. He loves God. And here's the thing I was going to tell you that I think is so important. It's loving God that helps you make the right decisions in life. Yeah, it brings prosperity. It brings all, all kinds of good things. But in practice, it's loving God that causes you to say and do the right things and make the right choices. To think straight and act right. And that's to your advantage. This isn't for me. It's not subscribing to some small list of Ten Commandments or something like that. It's about living your life well. And when I look back over my life, love of God was at all those junctions, all those many points in which I ended up where I am now. And you could probably attest to that too. So I want us to dare to love God. Dare to love God. And I th we see in Joseph's life here in this chapter three things about loving God that are very important. We see that Joseph's love for God shows us true love. Shows us true love. Shows us false love. In other words, love for God shows us true love. Love for God shows us false love. And love for God shows us lasting love. And all of this because God's love is loyal love. The first thing I want us to see about true love is that true love is devoted love. Faith, faithfulness, trusting and depending on God... That's all the expression of devotion to God. In verse 2 of chapter 39, we read, The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph means Yah increases. Yah increases. So there's a, a touch of uh, expectation in the very naming of Joseph because Yahweh um, will increase. That's kind of what his name means. But what I want us to appreciate when, we, when we're talking here, and I touched on this a little bit already, Joseph's not a puppet in this, in this chapter, in this period or episode in his life. If, you, if we think he's a puppet or, or somehow God's just doing this without Joseph's notice, or Joseph is unconscious through this, uh, or Joseph doesn't interact with God in some way, or there isn't some kind of cooperation in this, then this has nothing to tell us. But I don't believe that's the case, and we need to appreciate that. We're told of the presence of God again and again and again in this chapter, and through thick and thin, because God in Joseph's life shows up 
in what he does and what he says, we realize that others are aware that this kid, this Joseph, is close to God. They may not understand all the dynamics, but this guy's different because he's close to God. And I think that's an, an expression of the, the love that we have for God. It shows up in our words, it shows up in our attitude, and it shows up in our choices. All of life is determined, all of your life is going to be determined by choices. Decisions you make. Even little decisions that you think are unimportant can be a matter of giving up ground or gaining ground in life towards something you really care about. That's why I want to use the word dream, because God has a dream for you. And it involves Jesus Christ, even as this morning it involves Joseph. And God, if you get a grasp of this dream, God will take you places. And one day, like me, take an inventory, and you can do it incrementally, at major checkpoints along the way, you can stop and you can get out and you can look back and then you can look ahead and side to side and you can see what God has done in your life. And really, it, you'll begin to praise and give thanks. Because gratitude is an acknowledgement or recognition of the grace of God the favor of God, the help of God, the hand up of God. Gratitude is an acknowledgement. I see that, Lord. I see your hand in that. I see what you did there, God. Sometimes, God, you brought these wonderful people into my life. You spared me. You stopped me, Lord, from falling into something again and again. That's why I like to think of dreams. It's appropriate to love God in regard to seeing His dreams for you come true. And that's true for Joseph. I think we see it right here. God steers Joseph towards his dreams through Joseph's love for God. Look, let me give you three words that I think are really powerful here when I talk about God steering him. I see Joseph propelled. I see Joseph piloted. And I see Joseph protected. Propelled, driven, pushed, compelled. Some goals just don't get you out of bed, but dreams will. When I think of dreams, I think of us reaching for things that are higher than myself, than yourself. You know, in goal setting, take any leadership or meditation course. You don't want to set goals unless they are attainable. A good goal is a reachable, attainable goal. But what about dreams? What about faith? That's got to go beyond goals sometimes. doesn't mean there won't be goals within those dreams. I'm not talking about sus suspending your rationality. But we're made up of more than just molecules. 
God's put something in our hearts so we can dream and we can reach for things that are bigger than ourselves. What if the gospel was not a part of our life or our world? What a dark, dismal place it would be. That's what I mean when I say take inventory, step back and realize what a dream it is that we walk with Jesus Christ, that we know of a future that is ours and we know the work of God in our lives. Joseph knows that in the ways that he's propelled and steered, he's piloted, and he's even protected. You notice how Joseph exercises self-control? This is an amazing thing. That's a part of devotion. If you're devoted, you're disciplined, right? You don't just quit on what you're devoted. No, you adhere. You hold to. This love keeps us moving in the right ways. Drew Dick said, What self-control requires ultimately isn't control, but surrender. What self-control requires ultimately isn't control, but surrender. He's talking about the Lord in our lives, and that's exactly what we see in Joseph. It's the secret ingredient. When I was a sophomore, I quit all after-school sports, and I went to work at uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I love those 11 spices or whatever, you know? That secret, the secret something in con- herbs, herbs and spices in Kentucky Fried Chicken, see? Wouldn't you like to know? Uh, of course, uh, when I finished with Kentucky Fried Chicken, I couldn't eat it for about 11 years, but (laughs) I don't know if I've ever mentioned my salsa. Uh, There's a secret formula to my salsa. And of course, I don't market my salsa, so you don't know how special it is. Um, Yeah, but uh, yeah, only two people in this world know how to make my salsa. And if you knew it, it would make you happy. <laughs> but the point is, is that, you know, companies spring up from something at the heart of what they're doing. This is what is the secret of the Christian life, love of God. And the amazing thing is, as I say this, is that this is nothing new. This is at the heart of the Old and New Testament. Deuteronomy 6.5, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And that became the yoke also of Jesus' teaching, the great commandment. So this is uh, at the heart of what makes Joseph tick and why he's self-controlled. Listen, you're going to have, you're going to fail from time to time. Wednesday evening, um, you know, it's, I notice the sun, it's not pitch black until about 5.30 now. I, I really like the longer days. But for a while there, man, 4.55, and it was black, dark. 
Um, so I was on my way home a little after five on Wednesday. And I gotta admit, I, I, I don't get depressed much at all. And I'm, this is not about depression per se, but that's the closest way you can talk about what I was feeling. And it has had something to do, you know, some burdens you just can't lay down. You, there are some grand things that you're responsible for in life, and sometimes you can, you can define those burdens. And I've got about four burdens that I'm carrying, and I usually carry them very well. And I was trying to carry all four at once on Wednesday, and as I drove home, I was just depleted emotionally, physically, uh, I usually go home, I'm cheery, I walked in the house stone quiet, I went and sat in the living room, it was kind of twilight, I didn't turn on any lights, I just sat by myself, and Shelly, so sweet, you know, uh, hey hon, I didn't know you were home, uh, eh, how's your day, blah, 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 and I'm just slow to speak, and I said, hon, I just, you know, I'm having a little bit of a rough time, I just need to be alone, so she sat there in the quiet with me, you know, which was a beautiful thing, but even she got on my nerves. <laughs> Sometimes it's just like that. Sometimes it's just like that. And I wasn't acting like Joseph. You know, it just, it kind of went worse in a worser direction. And later I apologized to Shelley. And I told, I said, I, I said to her, I, I, I disappointed myself. I, I, I didn't want to be a dis. I'm sorry, I was a disappointment, but I disappointed myself. I wanted to be like Joseph. I wanted to be like Jesus, and I wasn't. But because of G Joseph and because of Jesus, I'm here now, apologizing. I'm back on track. You see. Even when you stray or you fall or you blow it or have a deal you can't handle as much as you try, because that's how you learn. That's how Jesus teaches and grows you. You're going to run into stuff you can't handle, but you'll handle it better the next time and each time because you love God through it all. And you don't languish long or you don't wander away forever. Or turn your back because you love the Lord. You see? It's not about being perfect. It's about an enduring love of God that you're not going to let go of. And that's what I see in Joseph. And that's what we see here in his devoted love. D.L. Moody. The Moody University is named after D.L. Moody, for if, if you're not familiar with the name. He wrote, I've had more trouble with myself than any other man I've ever met. We, we all could say that, couldn't we? We not only see that Joseph's love for God shows us that his love is, that love is, this love is true, it's also it exposes or shows us false love. And that's where we see in verse 8, 9, and following all the way to verse 19, from 7 to 19, that's where we see um, how God's love shows up even in a, a crisis like this. 
the first thing we have to notice is notice where Joseph's head is at. Where's his head at? It's like I shared a little, a little earlier before. He says, he says, if because of me he's done all these things, how could I betray him? He's thinking straight. He's thinking about how his master has favored him, how God has favored him. It's not about, whoa, she thinks I'm hot. And I really am, all of that. We, we do that kind of stuff. We've had people have given us all a leg up and encouraged us. We're all the product that this, wherever you are in life, you are the product of a lot of helping hands and above all, God's hand. But when we start strutting and thinking, it's, it's me. It's me that's doing all this. Then when these things, you don't need to love God because you're doing it. And so when a temptation or a false love comes along and says, follow me, come for me. That false love, you won't fall for it. And look what she does. Immediately when he leaves her and he has to escape without his garment, immediately she frames it. Is that love? You ever met somebody that you've had a conversation with and immediately after you leave, that person turns and frames you? Ever heard of passive-aggressive behavior? There shouldn't be any passive-aggressive behavior in the body of Christ, but there is. And you know what? It's a sign of false love, not true love. True love exposes false love. Because Joseph surrendered to a love that has captured his devotion. Nobody. There's, it's a dream that we live in Christ. That we have in Christ. There's no one that can say the things that Jesus says to us. No one can make the claims that Jesus makes to us. That's, a, that's the person I want to be devoted to. Do I fail? Yeah, and I'm frank about it. Because I'm a pastor. And pastoring involves shepherding and guiding in the real world, not a false world. Does that make sense? Me being perfect for your... What? Pleasure? No, being honest being true about the struggles of life, that even when you're a pastor after 45 years, you can still be in a funk and act like a jerk? This is the real world. And we need to know that we never stop needing to be devoted to the Lord and putting our love in Him. That's how we continue growing. And that's how we become more beautiful because that's the the life of the new humanity, not the old humanity. And the lasting, Joseph's love for God shows us his lasting love. Powerful that Joseph, Joseph doesn't let results affect his faithfulness to God. And it's interesting, he just starts over He's arrested. He's arrested. And now he's in prison. 
And the last three verses of chapter 39 show the rise of Joseph. Not, not the defeat. He's not down for the count. He rises again. He rises because he walks with the Lord. The Lord is always with you. That's a theme of this chapter. The Lord is with you. Listen very carefully to me. You'll only know he's with you if you love him. When you're not loving him, you won't be aware of his presence. It's when you love him that you will be aware of his presence. It's when you love him that you will turn to him and trust him and you'll know that he's involved in your life. It's when you and I love him that all that becomes evident. And it was just in the last three verses you have a comparison between his rise in the house of Potiphar and his rise in the house of the chief prisoner, the jailhouse. That's very important. Joseph doesn't fall away. Sometimes we expect, well, if I do all the right things, everything will go better. Didn't for Joseph. He did all the right things. In this chapter, in chapter 39, the, the Hebrew word for hand occurs nine times. You won't find it in the English translation, but it's quite striking in Hebrew. Nine times. Seven of those times refer to the hand of Joseph. God puts things into the hand of Joseph. Just like, listen, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 35, and again in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, verse 3, it says that the Father, God, put all things into the hands of Jesus. That means that in Hebrew, the notion is called kinyan, ownership authority, power. Joseph, seven times we're told things are put into his hands because he's trustworthy. He can be counted on. His character is like God's character. That's why when you look at the comparison between the verses of his rise in Potiphar's house and the verses of his rise in jail, they're so similar. Why is that? Character is character. His character is shaped by the character of God. So, of course, it's going to be similar. One final thing. One time, we're told the, one of the uses of hand is the hands, the hand of Potiphar's wife. One time in this chapter. You see, what did she have in her hand? Not Joseph just his garment. It's pretty powerful. All those times he's in the hand of God or God, God has put in his hands, that's authority, ownership, control. But the one time that a hand is used of Potiphar's wife, she's just got his cloak. That's false love. And it's not lasting love. Will you stand? Joseph gives us a lot to think about. I hope you'll be thinking about 
God's great love and loving him in the choices and things that we do this week, reflecting on what he's done in your life and what he has yet to do and will do in your life. This morning, as you think about your life or maybe someone else's that you care about and you might want to pray about something, we're going to be down here, uh, all of the leaders, spouses, and we invite you to come and pray with us. Let me close in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Thank you for your word that reveals to us your history with your people, the wonderful things you have done, the gospel, what you have done in Jesus Christ and are doing through your spirit. We praise and thank you. I pray your blessing on everyone in this room as we seek to love you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, God bless you.